that. I could still beat him up in a second. And I've had to prove that a few times in the back deck. I could can absolutely... And it has nothing to do with my weight. It's all with my skill. I just want to be clear. <laughs> Amen. Well, this is kind of a monumental uh, uh, service. Yes, the Ammons are here. That's awesome. Um, but um, this is the last message in a series of Paul's missionary journeys. And we have, I forget what the date was, but we're, we're, we're over two years we've been doing this. Over two years on Wednesdays. Um, so that could tell you one of several things. One, I'm going way too slow. <laughs> or I don't know. But um, uh, we're literally in the last chapter of Acts here. And uh, it's the last chapter in the history of Paul as far as uh, scriptures are concerned. Uh, we know that recently uh, he's gone through a shipwreck. Uh, he's been stranded on the island of Malta for a few months, uh, seemingly having a three-month span of rest and relaxation, working miracles on the on the island, and and no doubt teaching and preaching and just having the time of fellowship. Right? Then Paul and all two hundred seventy-five other souls that were on the ship with him hopped on a ship called Castor and Pollux, if I'm saying that right, and they continued on their journey to Rome. That's where we left off, amen. Let's go to uh, Acts chapter 28, verse 11. Acts chapter 28, verse 11. And just in case anybody, if they just walked in, Acts chapter 28, verse 11. We love you, Miss Carrie. It says, And after three months we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux, and landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days. And from thence we fetched a compass and came to uh, Regium, Regium, um, and after one day, the south wind blew, and we came uh, the next day to, uh, how do you say that, Miss Ruby Putioli? Is that close? Amen. I'm just making it up. Where, where we found brethren, and look at this, and were desired to tarry with them seven days. I didn't notice this before until last night. Like it didn't sink into me, but the brethren there at that place desired them to stay for seven days. Keep in mind, there's 276 people. It's not like Paul's just visiting them and saying, hey, guys, we're here. And he's like, hey, why don't you stay in my house? I got an extra room. No, we're talking about 276 people in all. We're talking Roman soldiers. We're talking about probably, I mean, murderers of the highest degree. So you probably uh, convicted felons of the highest degree, probably murderers and, and such. They were compelled for them to stay for seven days. This tells me two things that I got to thinking about. One, this encourages the possibility that everyone that was on board that ship had gotten saved. The Bible doesn't say that. But it encourages the possibility of it. Or at least the centurions that were in charge. They're months behind schedule. Months and months and months and months and months behind schedule. They got to get these prisoners over there. And the centurions are like, hey, you know what? We'll stay with your friends for seven days. Even though they just spent three months teaching and preaching and, and, and spending all this time on the island, right? And yet these centurions are saying, hey, let's have another week of celebration. So number one, it encourages the possibility that they all got saved. And second, and this is just a hearty speculation. But what is the significance of seven days? Why, why wouldn't they just stay eight, two days? Or three? 
Because seven days, I'm just speculating, not Bible, just speculating, that they want him to stay for the next church service. Hey, stick around, man. We want to have church with you guys. Paul, you could be the preacher. Man, a bunch of folks just got saved, if not all of you. It would, what a blessing it would be. We just have a special meeting, special guest. Have a potluck. Miss Darla, Miss Kathy will cook a meal. It'll be awesome. Can you imagine Paul preaching a message with 275 Roman soldiers and convicted felons worshiping the Lord? Even if they weren't all saved, amen. Uh, Pastor Ammon, I'd be honored if you'd open in a word of prayer as we get into the message. So they finally make it to Rome. Paul calls for a meeting of all the chief Jews together as the, uh, at his house while he's under what we call house arrest. Then he tells them all about how the legalistic Jews, back where he came from, basically have been trying to kill him and trying to kill him and trying to, to get at him and do this and that and uh, stone him to death and anything that they could do and all the stories being lured down in a basket. Uh, uh, I mean... A flood of stories. What he's gone through just in the past several years. Worshiping the Lord. Then he, then he really starts to witness to him. And, and tell him how, how he wound up in prison. And how he witnessed to this one and that one and that one. And Agrippa. And Look at the text. Acts 28 verse 17. And it came to pass after three days Paul called the chief Jews uh, together. And when they were come together, he said in them, men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. So when they examined me, so when they had examined me, uh, would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar. Not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore, I, I have, have I called you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. And they said to him, We neither receive letters out of Judea uh, concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, for as concerning of this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against Turn to Luke 6, and we'll be there in a moment. And if you want, Matthew 7, and we'll be there in a moment too. But think about it. He's talking, uh, and, and uh, Paul's referring to the legalistic Jews. That, that's the context of Scripture there that uh, these Jews in Rome were talking about. They're talking about the legalistic Jews back where Paul came from. The chief priest that uh, had openly sought to kill Paul or anyone who believed in the same saving power of Jesus Christ. It, it, Chief priests that were known for atrocities and murders and a conspiracy to kill and putting a, 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 a Jesus-believing Christians in jail. 
I got to thinking about this last night and our testimonies precede us. That's why it's so important to represent Christ everywhere you go. Rachel taught our children at a very young age, Proverbs 20, 11, Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure or whether it be right. Wyatt's known for his actions, and Ava's known for her actions, just as well as Brother Tony's known for his actions. When we mess up, it takes, it takes time to show, right? To get, when we lose somebody's trust, it takes quite a time to gain that trust back. We're known for our doings. When uh, <laughs> you know what people said to me, I, I mean, like, I, like probably ten times at least. When when I got voted in as pastor, and I'm not even exaggerating this, like I would normally exaggerate every other story, but people would say, "Oh, you're a pastor now? Well, you got to really watch what you do now." But it's true. I mean, people that. Have claimed to be Christians all their lives to come up being like, man, as a pastor, wow, you gotta like, you gotta really watch your testimony now. And they're right. They're right. And I get there's a bigger target on my back. I get that. But we should have that same mindset as a Christian because we're representing Christ. Just because I represent Hope Baptist Church as a pastor, I, we're, I, I still represent Christ outside the, 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 the church house and in the workplace and at home. To my neighbors. But people have this mindset, oh, the pastor has to live right. Or the pastor's family has to live right. I remember, it's funny you guys are here. Got so many stories. But when I moved in next door to the Ammons, I, I'm, I'm telling you, five or six people said, oh, man, it's so weird, dude, next to, next to the Ammons. Is that weird? It's weird. I know, I know. But like, like, it kind of shows the heart of the person asking the question. Because what a blessing it is. I mean, think about it. Like, like we're going to get into heaven. Uh, uh, um, Tony, your mansion's next to the Lord. How do you feel about that? You've been, but, no, it's a blessing. Unless you're like, oh, you're going to do something that, that he's not going to see or something, right? But it's this mindset. We're known for who we are. Even a child is known by his doings. Those legalistic Jews, their rep reputation preceded them. <laughs> oh, it's just going to kill me. <laughs> the Three Amigos came to mind. You, you, you guys watch that movie? Don't watch it. I watched the TV version and we recommended it to our brothers-in-law and it was just like, wow, we were like, the worst people in the family. Oh my goodness. There was some not good stuff in it. Anyways, anyways. So, so, in the Three Amigos, they, they heard about this bad guy, El Guapo. And it said that he was the infamous El Guapo. And they're like, infamous? That must mean more than famous. All the, so famous, they're infamous. Oh man, horrible. Oh man. Where was I in my notes? Amen. It shouldn't be no different how we act in the house of God than it is when we act at home. When we're talking to our neighbors, our conversation shouldn't be any different. It shouldn't be any different. 
but we are known. We have a reputation. All of our neighbors, we have a reputation, whether it's good or bad. Whether they see us yelling at the kids or not, it's, it's good or bad. People aren't stupid. Our co-workers are not dumb. Our children know exactly what's going on. Our children know exactly how faithful we are or we aren't. Luke 6.45, Jesus said, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil, for of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. The sect of the Jews that were out to kill Paul were the very same Jews that were out to crucify Jesus. They crucified Jesus. Nothing but a bunch of hypocrites and pious church folk, legalistic Jews. Matthew 7, 3, Jesus said, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but uh, considerest not the mote that is in thine own eye? It's like when someone else gets cancer or diabetes or high blood pressure now. We always think, well, that happens to somebody else. Well, somebody those hypocrites, that preachers preach on hypocrites, it's that I'm thinking of Brother Tony in my mind. I hope he gets to an altar and gets things right. As opposed to thinking, Lord, is there anything in my heart that I'm being a hypocrite about? Is there anything that I could do? Is there any uh, a beam in my eye, Lord? But, but that's what we do. That's what we do. That's our nature. That's our go-to. Is there any who's sitting next to me? Amen. Go to um, back to our text. Acts twenty-eight twenty-three. Acts 28:23. When they had appointed him a day, there came to him in, uh, there, there came many to him in, in his into his lodging. That's where Paul's staying. That's where he's under what we call house arrest. To whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God. Look at this, persuading them concerning who Jesus. So here's Paul preaching uh, Jesus. To many people that are coming to him, look at this, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning to evening. Why would Paul use Moses and the prophets that were under the law to preach Jesus? Well, first of all, because Jesus preached Moses and the prophets. Amen. That's what all the disciples, they preached Moses and the prophets. Amen. The two men on the road to Emmaus, Jesus preached to them Moses and the prophets. Amen. That's what, that's what uh, Philip and the, and the uh, um, Ethiopian eunuch, he preached to him, Moses and the prophets. Using the Old Testament, preaching Jesus. <laughs> Isn't Jesus all about grace, you might say? And the law about crossing every T and dotting every I? Folks, the law points to Jesus. Every time they made that sacrifice, it's pointing to Jesus and to the coming Messiah. That, that's, what, that's what it was all about, to point to Christ. Back to our text, Acts 28, 24. And some believing the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not amongst, among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul has spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by his eyes, the prophet unto our fathers, saying... Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, 
and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent to the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. Paul was preaching right out of Isaiah. Let's turn there. Isaiah chapter 6. Let's read it ourselves directly out of the New Testament. Let's look at exactly what Paul was preaching. I love the Word of God. I had a long conversation with a design engineer uh, uh, today. We were working together. And he watched an episode um, on TV. I, I'm going to have to watch it now so I could hold a better conversation with him. But... Um, um, yeah, I, I, I don't want to get going on too much of a rabbit trail. Um, but one thing he said in the conversation we, that we had, and it wasn't an argument, it was a good conversation. Um, he said that um, he believes the Bible and all. He claims Catholicism just because his parents were. He believes the Bible and he just thinks that, just thinks that it's like a more of an, how you interpret it. You know, and then and so you could just really think a lot of different things. And of course, my response was, have you ever read it? Well, you know, a verse here and there. I said, so really you're just kind of taking what somebody else told you, not looking into it for yourself. I said, second of all, it's, you know, there, there's some things that we could have a debate about. There's some prophecy we could talk about, right? And we, you know, that aren't, uh, they're, they're a minor thing and not a major thing. There's some things in the Bible like that. I said, but by and large, it's not that hard. I said, you know, when God says, thou shalt not commit, commit adultery. I said, you don't know what that means, right? I said, there's no, like, interpreting, like, what it should be. I said, when it says, thou shalt not steal, you, you understand that, right? He goes, well, yeah, like, on those things. I said, there you go. Go by the things in the Bible that you understand, but you got to read it yourself. Um, and then the conversation just went, he put up a block wall. Amen. Amen. So we should all be there. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. This is what Paul was literally preaching. I just want, I just want to point this out. Paul is preaching Isaiah to Gentiles. Look at this, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will, who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And what a verse that is, man. Paul's like, Lord, I'll go. Send me. I'll, I'll, whatever needs to be done, I'll do it. What a missionary mindset, an evangelistic mindset. Verse 9. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat. Make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And look at this. And understand with what? Their heart. Not by works, but with their heart and convert and be healed. Why would Paul quote Isaiah if God was telling Isaiah about the actual people of Israel? Speaking to actual, the, the, the children of Israel. Because of the message of salvation has not changed. Because the sinful nature of man will always be wicked unless there is a change of heart and a conversion. We, 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 we want to take things and slice up the Bible and, and get our doctrines in these certain ways and people come up with certain things. We want to ignore all of the principles of the Old Testament. I'm, I'm, I'm stepping outside of salvation. Salvation is just obvious all throughout the Bible. People want to take doctrines and say, well, God didn't give a specific Ten Commandments in the New Testament, so like... Right, so God actually didn't say don't commit adultery in that form to, to, to maybe Paul or something. I mean, give me a break. I'm um, um, bleeding through other conversations I've had recently. I apologize. 
it was the same for Israel as Isaiah prophesied as it was the same to the Gentiles that Paul was preaching to and it's the very same salvation that it is for us today it's a hard issue God, God was telling Isaiah hey, you tell them it's a hard issue they need to be converted it's a hard issue they need to be healed We saw in our text a moment ago, said, um, in Acts 28, 24, it said, some believe the things which were spoken and some believe not. And I hit this, I think on Sunday, one of the services. It, 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 it's hard for me to understand that seeing a miracle doesn't equate to belief. I mean, if I saw the Red Sea parting, I would say, well, that's the Lord. <laughs> you know, if I saw Lazarus being raised from the dead, I would say, well, he is Jesus. He's the son of God. I feel like, right, and, 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 and the world would say that too. Well, if I just saw a miracle, then I just, but the fact is that is not true. It's just not true. You know, the army of um, um, the Egyptians, the Egyptian army and Pharaoh going in after the, the children of Israel. You know, I know Pharaoh said go, but they had a choice to make when they come up and they saw that dry ground in the seas parted. They knew it was very clear that it was the God of Abraham that was clearing the way for them. But they still chased after him. You know, when, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the, the dead... There were some that didn't believe and they went and told the authorities like, hey, this just happened. What are we going to do about it? We got to do something. It blows my mind. But yet, that's why Jesus doesn't come around and God just doesn't do miracles all the time because people would not all believe. That's a whole message on Doubting Thomas anyways. Amen. But it doesn't matter if Jesus himself were standing right here tonight. If he were to turn water to wine right in front of us. If, uh, if you were to raise someone from the dead, it, it, it wouldn't matter. There would still be some people that, that would choose to not believe. That they, they done closed up their heart and said, I'm not going to put myself under that authority. They'll, they'll say, well, no, he must know Chris Angel because he's doing some magic David Copperfield stuff. Right? And, and, and then you'll, people will tell themselves this kind of thing. Right? I mean, really, we're going to justify, everyone justifies their sins. Man, I want a big bowl of ice cream. The sugar-free stuff ain't so good. It ain't. But boy, I could justify it. Lord, I've been working so hard. Lord, I studied long for that message. I really deserve at least one scoop of ice cream. Right? But we do that. We justify our own sins. Just in the same way somebody's not going to justify the miracles of God or doing something uh, great. Amen. We can sit, we can sit in a, 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 a service Man, and God could move in a, in a powerful way. I mean, people could be weeping. People could be at the altar. God could be moving before the preaching even starts. There could be some people in the congregation that are clueless. Completely unplugged because their heart's not in it. They're just there putting in their time or waiting until get the Burger King when church is over or go with the pastor to, to the ice cream joint that's now open. Amen? My point is, it's a heart issue. Because the presence of God is here right now. 
We literally have a choice every time the word of God is open. Every time we're meeting, we're having fellowship, say, uh, Lord, Lord, my heart's open. I want to grow. I want to learn. Speak to me. We have that option every time we meet. Maybe not all of us every time are saying, Lord, here am I. Whatever you would have me to do, let me draw nigh to you. Right? Preachers got to do it too. The benefit that I have is I have many, many hours before the service starts to get my heart ready. Amen. So, amen. Uh, continuing on, amen. <clears throat> Acts 28, 29. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house. Bless God. God was protecting him in his own home. And received, I added those words. And, added, and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Turn to 2 Corinthians eleven twenty two. 2 Corinthians 11. Those were the last, that was the last that we hear of Paul in scriptures as far as history goes. Tradition, not the Bible, but tradition tells us that Paul died not long after the recording of his life here in Acts. And that the Emperor Nero had Paul beheaded during his crusade against Christianity. The Bible doesn't say that. The preacher doesn't say that. Historians say that. That's not inspired. History tells us that. Historians also tell us that Nero blamed all Christians for the great fire in Rome in AD 64. For whatever reason, no one can say for sure, but whether he used the Christians as scapegoats for the fire or because he hated the Christians, or probably both. We remember Nero... The man who used human bodies as torches to light his garden at night. Bodies of Christians. And, and quite honestly, you know where our mind goes? Man, that was bad back then. That never happened again. We're, we're civilized now. Y'all been watching the news? You see what Putin's doing? You think that we wouldn't go through that in, in this society, in this world again? Here we go. We have another Hitler on the loose. We think that we're separated from that stuff. This is right around when the last book of the Bible was written too. John on the Isle of Patmos writing on the, Isle of Pat, uh, uh, the book of Revelation. You know who sent him there? History tells us. Nero. Quite interesting when you start thinking about the last books of the Bible written in that wicked time frame when, when man, Nero was just persecuting Christians in the most horrific ways. Um, it would do us all good to get a Fox's Book of Martyrs and start reading about uh, uh, the martyrs that have uh, been maliciously murdered all throughout the years. And particularly what Nero did and all the different ways that he would torture Christians. And then the next time that we complain about our air conditioner not working, or we got a flat tire, or whatever we want to complain about, we get a reality check of, you know what, we got it really, really good. Anytime there's a problem with somebody in the church, and they're complaining, they're just mad about something, you know what I want to do? I want to say, hey, come with me to the hospital, let's go visit them. 
Let's go visit. Let's get a reality check where our, where we could be. There's a whole lot of folks that would love to be in the house of God right now that are sitting in the hospital bed saying, well, I wish I would serve God more in my life. But here I am in a hospital bed. I'd like to close this whole series that I've so enjoyed. Uh, I've so enjoyed it. In Paul's own words, 2 Corinthians 11.22. Paul's saying, are, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered a shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, amen, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended? I am burned not. I must needs glory. I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. Jump to 2 Corinthians 12, 9. A few verses down the road. He continued, man, what a witness. He said, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He said, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. But when I am weak, then am I strong. Turn to one more scripture, Romans chapter 1. We've gone through the missionary journeys of Paul, and clearly, just in his testimony in 2 Corinthians, there. There's so much more than even the scripture tells about, and we know that. We know that. But what a testimony he's saying, I'm just going to glory in all the infirmities that I have. As a pastor, I do good, Pastor Ammon, to not complain about whenever I'm accused of whatever, just this, my blood pressure is being encouraged to go high. But I would say, you know what, I just want to praise God for what I'm going through. Amen. Thank you, God, for this. I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to grow from this. And everyone will say, Amen. But you know what? Let's not look at our neighbor. Let's look at ourselves and say, You know what? I would do good. Brother Tony would do good to say, I would do good. Noah would say, Do good to say, I would do good to just say, His grace is sufficient for me and I'm going to glory in my infirmities. Amen. If we could just understand that, it's easy to get bogged down. Anybody that does anything for Christ, you got a target on your back. Same Paul who penned the words of 2 Corinthians also penned this. Look at Romans 1.16. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Look at Romans 8.28. I just love how we can apply scripture to ourselves. Romans 8, 28, he said, And we know that all things, all things, work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Man, I love that song. 
Nothing can touch me unless he says it can. Nothing can touch me that doesn't pass through his hand. We do real good. We do real good to get a good understanding of how great he is, how nothing we are, how wicked we are, how good we have it, as opposed to how things could be. We could be burning at a stake right now. We might be burning at a stake in the future. Boy, that's a reality check. All of a sudden, say, thank God we're allowed to come to a church house. We still have freedom. We still have liberty. Pfft, amen to that. We serve a good God. The weaker we are, the stronger.